The Word of God is the answer to our culture's plight. The Word of God is the answer to our burning cities. And specifically, Genesis, that foundational book. And we are returning to Genesis with a brief introduction to Genesis and the Christian worldview. So a brief introduction, but I want to start with our current events, saints. So open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read Genesis 1 down through at least verse 28. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth the grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created the heavens and the earth and all life in it. And mankind in his own image is the pinnacle 
of His creation for His own glory. My dear Christian brothers and sisters, you don't need to get woke in this hour of civil unrest, in this hour when our cities burn, in this hour of uprising. You don't need to embrace the folly of social justice or to join the Black Lives Matter movement to stand against hate and racism and murder. You just need to believe your Bible. You just need to believe Genesis. You need to believe, thus saith the Lord, from the very first verse to the last. Consider this text once again, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. I'm fine with the term human and human being, but I prefer mankind. And not to be a misogynist or a sexist, but even man. Let us make man in our image. For God created Adam, and from Adam he created Eve. Mankind. We're all from Adam. All of us, even Eve. All from Adam. We are mankind, created in the image of God. We are all brothers and sisters in that regard. Different cultures, uh, different hair, different eye shapes, different hues of skin, but all brothers and sisters, all descendants of Adam, one family, mankind. That is the truth of God's Word. So even my introductory statement there, what is the answer to hate, racism, and murder? I don't even like the term racism. There's one race. So unless we're hating birds or hating dogs or hating cats, (laughs) we're not really guilty of racism. Those are creatures of a different race, if you will. We are creatures of the same race, all of us, all of us. We are mankind created in the image of God. What is the answer to hate? Well, to believe that foundational truth of Genesis chapter 1, the very first book, the very first chapter. We have no foundation to hate different races, for there are no different races. There is no superior race, except that mankind is superior to all other creatures, for mankind alone is created in the image of God. And it's the faulty worldview of Big Bang cosmology and evolution that creates multiple races. It's that worldview that created the idea that some races were superior to other races. But the Word of God is the truth that undoes or removes that foundation of hatred. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, The Lord Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And we think we can reject God or even hate God. We can declare God to be non-existent and have no ramification upon our society. But in rejecting the first commandment, we make ourselves to be ascended apes. In rejecting the first commandment, we open the door to racism and we shut the door to the second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor created in the image of God. Your neighbor of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Red, yellow, black, and white. All precious in His sight. All descendants of Adam. All worthy of love, honor, protection. You shall love your neighbor as yourself because they are the same as you. They are mankind. They are your brother, your sister. The Lord Jesus continues on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets, but our nation, our post-Christian nation, along with the post-Christian West, thinks it can reject its God, reject the first commandment to love the Lord your God without having significant, even tragic, even horrific ramifications on humanity as a whole, on mankind as a whole. 
If we reject God and reject the first commandment to love God, we open the door to the rejection of the second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so let us revive Genesis. Let us revive the biblical worldview. Let us boldly proclaim it as the answer to the hatred that we see unleashed in our streets. Racism specifically is addressed, of course, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We've already spoken to that. But Acts 17, 26 is built upon Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Acts 17, 26 says this, He, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. One blood. God has made from one blood all the nations that dwell on the face of the earth. We're one blood. One blood. One family. We're all blood brothers and sisters in the blood of Adam. It courses through our veins. And for those who are in Christ, we're also under the blood of Christ. We are doubly blood brothers and blood sisters, dead in Adam and alive in Christ. Praise be to God. So there's no room for racism, for we are one blood, there is one race. We are all image bearers of our God the pinnacle of God's creation, unlike all other creatures. How about murder? Does the Bible have the answer to murder? Genesis is followed by Exodus, the law of God. Interestingly enough, in Exodus 20, the law of God upholds a literal six-day creation. But Exodus 20, verse 13 says, You shall not murder And again, Exodus 20.13, the law of God, you shall not murder, is built on the foundation of Genesis chapter 1. Because taking the life of a mere creature is not murder. It may be wasteful. It may be destructive. It may be wrong, depending on how you're taking the life of other creatures. But it's not murder. It is the specific taking of life of human beings, creating the image of God. It is specifically the unjust taking of life of a fellow image bearer that is called murder. You shall not murder. There is confusion now in our culture. We face it all the time. As we're out ministering the gospel and we... Declare you shall not murder, perhaps applying it to the genocide of the unborn, or even applying it to our current plight, murder and mayhem taking place in the streets. There are those that would say, do you eat meat in response to you shall not murder? Do you eat meat? That's the insanity of a godless worldview. They elevate chickens to the same status as men and women and children. Meat is not murder. It's lunch. It's supper. It's breakfast on a good day. Taking the life of an image bearer of God unjustly is murder. And the Lord condemns it. You shall not murder. But without Genesis, you don't have murder. Without Genesis, there is no ground to stand on actually to condemn even so-called racism much less murder, much less hate. Without Genesis, without in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, there's no such thing as love or hate. There's no such thing as racism, which would be the unjust hatred of your fellow man based upon the color of his or her skin. And there's no such thing as murder. There's mere preference You prefer to live, I prefer to take your life. And since you were an accident anyway, what is the great issue at hand? And so praise God for the revelation that God has given us of Himself and His creative act, of His law and His gospel. This is a treasure, saints. It is the treasure that our world is perishing without. They, in their sin 
have rebelled against and hated their Creator, and they have descended into their madness, and their madness is now ripping the very fabric of our society apart. Let us return to the book of Genesis and celebrate this revelation of God's creative act. Again, a brief introduction to Genesis and the Christian worldview. Let's outline where we're at. Basically, there are two worldviews, eternal creator God or eternal uncreated cosmos. And the ramifications of those two worldviews are colossal. The 5th century BC philosopher Parmenides popularized the truth statement ex nihilo nihil fit, literally translated This Latin phrase means out of nothing comes nothing. Christians have no difficulty with that maxim. The eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, all-wise, holy, triune, everlasting God created everything without pre-existing material. Out of nothing. Literally, ex nihilo in six literal days. The one true God is unlike the fictitious idols that man created. Mankind's idols did not create everything from nothing. They are said to merely fashion and shape the eternal material universe. Do you understand that? When we, out of our fallen nature, out of our fallen minds, create gods, they're we little gods who are not eternal but merely shape and craft the eternal cosmos. God alone, the God, the God of Scripture, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit alone created space, time, and matter about 6,000 years ago. God created a mature universe with the appearance of age, just like He created birds, not eggs. Just like He created a man and a woman, not a bouncing baby boy or a pink, cuddly baby girl. All of God's creation was good. There was no sin or death. Survival of the fittest, millions of years of death and struggle did not create the species. God created a vast array of life forms in accordance with His own wisdom to procreate after their kind. Everything. Plant and animal. Everything. All life that God created creates after or procreates after its kind. Ex nihilo nihil fit. The laws of causality. The law of probability. The law of biogenesis. The second law of thermodynamics. The theory of information that should be a law. All confirm the biblical worldview. Any law and all laws of every kind confirm the biblical worldview. The immaterial laws that govern the material universe so that we might know the universal truth of mathematics. The immaterial, universal, invariant laws of logic that govern immaterial thought so that we might know good thought from bad thought or truth from insanity. And the immaterial, universal, invariant laws of morality that govern thought and deeds confirm the biblical worldview. All true science confirms the biblical worldview. The very concept of truth upon which science is built demands and confirms the biblical worldview. Without the God of Genesis, you have no truth. The God, our God, is the God of truth. All truth is His. Without Him, it's impossible to have any truth at all. Unless you know everything, all that you think you know may well be contradicted by the vast amount of information you don't know. Unless you know everything that there is to know, or you know the God, hear me children, or you know the God who knows everything there is to know, and He's revealed some truth to you, You can't know anything at all. In other words, you either have to be God or know God, the God who has revealed truth, to know any truth at all. Truth is that which comports to the mind of God as revealed in His Word. The people of the God of truth are the people of truth. One further reminder before we get into the revealed truth of God's Word This is not a debate between spiritual versus realist or the religious versus the irreligious. It's truth and the true religion revealed by God versus absurdity and the false religion of atheism and its wicked offspring, naturalism, materialism, Big Bang cosmology, and evolutionism. 
And yes, I said it's wicked offspring. Naturalism, materialism, Big Bang cosmology, and evolutionism. We cannot be unbiased. These things are wicked. They have no place in the body of Christ. They have no place in our universities, in our seminaries, in our books, in our bookstores, or in the church itself. They are wicked. They are anti-Christ. Christ is our creator. Big Bang cosmology and evolution are anti-Christ. They're meant to undermine the word of God from the very first verse. Carl Sagan and his fellow pseudo-intellectual atheists have suppressed the truth of God and unrighteousness, exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and exchanged the glory of God the Creator for the creation. As Romans 1 declares, Sagan and all of his Big Bang cosmologist Darwinian evolutionist friends worship the creation, the cosmos, and the creature rather than the Creator. Again, don't think that this is spirituality versus True naturalism. You'd be hard-pressed to find a true naturalist, a true materialist. It's just a different form of spirituality. Here is Carl Sagan, a so-called naturalist, materialist, Big Bang cosmologist, evolutionist. He says science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is a profound source of spirituality. The cosmos is within. We are made of star stuff. We are a way for the universe to know itself. How can an impersonal, cold, dead universe know itself? He goes further. The cosmos is all that is or ever will be. Is that a a faith statement or a fact statement? Is that a scientific statement or a belief? It's a faith statement. It's a belief. The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. That's the eternal cosmos that he worships in his spirituality, his atheistic, satanic spirituality. He goes on to say, Our feeblest contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There is a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation. I mean, it's as if he's about to open up the atheist hymnal and go into song. As if a distant memory We're falling from a height. We know we are approaching the greatest of mysteries. Pastor John MacArthur rightly said this, Now there is one book. There is one book that comments on Genesis of great note. One book that I would say is absolutely authoritative. And it's the only authoritative book. One true, infallible, inerrant, authoritative commentary that has been written On Genesis, one unarguable divine book, one heavenly inspired commentary on Genesis that speaks with absolute authority is to be unchallenged in its truthfulness. And frankly, for me, this book forever settles the issue of the accuracy of Genesis. What book is it? It's the New Testament. It's the New Testament. It was not written by any scientist and not even by a creation scientist. It was not written by theologians or a theologian. It was written by simple men who were given the words to write by God himself so that God the creator is the author. You have in Genesis the account of creation. You have in the New Testament the creator's inspired commentary in the Genesis record. If you go to the New Testament, you will find there's an affirmation there of six-day creation. There's an affirmation of divine fiat or instantaneous creation. There's an affirmation of man being made in the image of God, an affirmation of Adam being created and then Eve. There's an affirmation of the fall there in very specific terms. There's an affirmation of the flood there in very specific terms. There's an affirmation of Noah and the surviving family of Noah. All of the Genesis record is very carefully referred to by the inspired New Testament. Saints, Jesus Christ is our Lord. Therefore, Jesus Christ's view of the Bible is our view of the Bible. There's no other Christian view of the Bible. There's no other Christian view of Genesis. Every other view of the Bible and Genesis is a non-Christian view of the Bible and Genesis. If you don't have 
Jesus Christ view of Scripture, then you're hard-pressed to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them. He's praying to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. A universal declaration of the Lord Jesus that God's word is truth. Now, mind you, when he said that, when he prayed that, the New Testament wasn't written. He was speaking of the entirety of the Old Testament. It is truth. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is preserved. It is authoritative. It is the truth of God without equivocation. Matthew 4, 4, he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Every word is inspired, inerrant, preserved, and authoritative truth. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, it may be penned by man, but it proceeded from the mouth of God. Matthew 5.18, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. What a blessing that is. To have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Give us complete assurance of the inspiration, the inerrancy, and the preservation of the truth of God's eternal word. Down to the jot and tittle. Down to the smallest portion of the letter. That's how deep the Lord Jesus' doctrine of inspiration, inerrancy, and preservation goes. John 5, 24. Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. He who hears my word. Have any of you heard the Lord Jesus audibly? If you're tempted to answer yes, see me afterward. If you have heard him audibly, it's by reading the word of God out loud or hearing someone else read the word of God out loud For Christ's words have been recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and portions of Acts and letters to the Romans, and on through all the way to Revelation. In John 5, 46, the Lord Jesus said, If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you don't believe Moses, how do you believe me? If you believe Moses, you would believe me. Hear me. There's no dichotomy. There's no great split between the writings of Moses and the writings or words of Jesus. For Jesus is the God of Genesis 1.1 who became flesh to dwell among us and be crucified for our sins and resurrect on the third day that we might live by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so let us embrace the Lord Jesus Christ view of the Bible. There is no other Christian view of the Bible. Every other view of the Bible and Genesis is a non-Christian view. Now let's look at what the Bible has to say about creation with Jesus Christ hermeneutic or view of how to interpret the Bible. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. According to Jesus' view, that's literal. There is no reason, according to the Lord Jesus' hermeneutic, to take that as anything but a literal Declaration of the Lord, our triune God, creating a universe that is likewise triune, space, time, and matter. In the beginning time, God created the heaven, space, and the earth, matter. And everything to follow it is equally literal. Genesis 1.21, So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. He created all 
the critters, all creatures. Creatures in the air, creatures in the sea, creatures on land. And chief amongst them, we've already read Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And having rejected the God of the Bible and having rejected Genesis as the literal revelation of the God of the Bible and his creative act, we descend into madness to the point where now we, we deny even gender. It used to be we, we cried out for sexual freedom, meaning we didn't have to be bound under that very restrictive institution called marriage to have sex. That was the sexual revolution. That's where it started. But the revolution has gone all the way to denying even gender. That is the madness of sin. When you deny the God of truth, you descend step by step incrementally into insanity. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. A literal account of how the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were created. Verse 2, And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. The created act is finished. It's done. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So is it an allegory? No, it's history. And that's exactly how the Lord Jesus received it. He received it as it's written. And by the way, he inspired it. And he's the God that it's speaking of, our creator. Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. A literal Adam is consistent throughout the entire Bible. Not only in the day that he was created, but in the genealogies that are given repeatedly throughout the entire Bible. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man. The day. God created man. A literal Adam created on a literal day. What day was that? Day six in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and he blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. It's almost as if God's trying to make a point. <laughs> the day they were created. Genesis chapter six, verse five. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and the beast and the creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So even the account of God's judgment upon mankind upholds the account of God's creation of the heavens and the earth and mankind. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. The day. That God created man on the earth. Day 6. We could look to Job chapter 40, 41 and 42. And on your own time, I encourage you to do that. Once again, to see how God humbled Job and reminded Job of his creator and his creative power. But consider the Psalms. And we could search the Psalms from beginning to end as our book of worship our Holy Spirit-inspired book of worship, and the psalmist again and again and again proclaims our Holy Creator God and various facets of His creative act. Psalm 104 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover Yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens 
like a curtain. Stretch out the heavens like a curtain. So we reach up in the morning and we draw the curtains back and we, we see that, that star we call the sun in the sky, right? Or we see it's still dark for some of you perhaps. Or at night we reach up and close it and the stars are covered up. Well, God just as easily stretched out the stars of the heavens like a curtain. Look to verse 5. You who laid the foundations of the earth. Verse 9. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. The Lord set the boundary for the oceans. Verse 19. He appointed the moon for seasons and the sun knows it's going down all according to God's perfect design, all intricately designed to allow for life to prosper here on planet earth. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Everywhere we look, everywhere we look, we see wisdom. We see wisdom. Men and women who don't want to submit themselves to the Bible, but do want to submit themselves to logic and what they actually see in telescopes and microscopes, they call it intelligent design. But everywhere we look, we see the handprint of God. We see the designer's wisdom, his infinite knowledge, his omniscience on display. O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. All of the interconnected systems, right? In the the ecosystem, all the interconnected systems Systems within your own body, all the interconnected systems within a single cell. We see God's wisdom on every level. We see God's wisdom in all of life where we see information. I spoke to it earlier, information theory, that there is, there is no law of nature, process, or series of events by which information originates by itself in matter. All. Information leads to a mind. It leads to a mind. Information, order, leads to a mind. And we're not talking about a wee bit of order that came about by eons of time and accident. We're talking about vast amounts of information that no amount of time would produce. Only the mind of God, the wisdom of God that is on display before us could produce it. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. Verse 29, You hide your face. They are troubled. You take away their breath. They die and return to their dust. Verse 30, You send forth your spirit. They are created and and you renew the face of the earth. 33, I will sing to the Lord as, I, as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to Him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. The Psalms are full of declarations of God's glorious creative act. Isaiah chapters 40 through 45, you find again and again and again statements like this. Isaiah 40 verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balance? Verse 21 Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and who spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. To whom then will you liken me? Verse 25 says. Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
the everlasting God. Remember, two worldviews. That's all there really are. An everlasting cosmos or an everlasting God. The Bible declares the everlasting God. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He is omniscient and he's omnipotent. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Isaiah 45, 12. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hand, stretched out the heavens and all their host I have com- commanded. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. We don't have an accidental universe and we don't have accidental life in it. We have an eternal God who says this. He created the heavens. He is God. He formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He did not create it in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. And finally, Isaiah sixty-five seventeen: For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Isaiah declares the end of our current heavens and earth, the demise, the dissolution of the current heavens and the earth, and the creation of a new heavens and new earth. And Revelation adds to that, in which righteousness, only righteousness dwells, never to be tainted with sin and the wage of sin, which is death. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth. This is the worldview of the Lord Jesus. This is the worldview of the New Testament. The old and the new are seamless. And the declaration of our creator and his creative act. Consider Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Our forefathers in the faith, ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, came up against persecution How did they respond to that persecution? They could have responded in many ways. Acts chapter 4 verse 23 records their response. And being let go, after their arrest, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard it, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Saints, under the duress of persecution, they cried out to God, their creator, in their prayers. The foundation of their faith is God, their creator. Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They're crying out to the God who created everything and the God who who controls everything. Verse 28, to do, speaking of those that gathered together against God and His Christ, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. He's the God who created all things and controls all things. That is the God they prayed to. That is the God they had faith in. Thus, that is the God they were able to continue 
to serve even in the face of hardship and difficulty. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They marched into the teeth of the lion. Consider Romans 1, 18, a familiar text, of course. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who have no idea where they came from. No. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What truth are they suppressing? The truth of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Because what may be known of God, verse 19 says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. It is manifest in them. God has shown it to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. So we might question, how has God manifested to them? How has God shown it to them? Sufficiently. And not just sufficiently, clearly. It is clearly seen. And not just a mere creator, but it says even His invisible attributes. His invisible attributes, His wisdom and His power in the very least And I would say even His holiness. His holiness. And by the grace of God, no doubt under the power of the Holy Spirit, creation spoke to my soul so many years ago before I'd yet bent my knee to Christ. In Glacier National Park in Montana, I knew there was something big and awesome and powerful and holy. And that I was unholy out there in the revelation of creation. God's word is true. Atheists lie and say they do not know. God's word is true and exposes they do know God, exposes the fact that they do know their God, they do know their creator, because God has made what may be known of him manifest to them, even in them, in them. We don't have time, but Romans 2 speaks of the conscience that God has written His law upon their conscience. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. I said earlier that honest unbelievers who don't want to just blatantly lie and deny what they see on the macro level and the micro level, what they see in their telescope and their microscope, they will submit to the reality of intelligent design. Now, they can't in their sin submit to the reality of God. They can't. Their sin won't let them until God regenerates them. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. But it's there to see, and it's undeniable. Sadly, the scientists and individuals, philosophers that argue for intelligent design, they will not submit to Genesis. They will not submit to a literal six-day creation. They will not submit to a young earth. They bow the knee before pseudoscience while yet giving some confession of the truth that they see of God's design in every place. And so these things are understood. God is understood. His invisible attributes are understood by the things that are made even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Skip down to verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Look to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They had a knowledge of God, but they didn't want to retain it. They wanted to reject it. So God gave them over to a debased mind. In verse 29, it says evil-mindedness. That's the debased mind. Evil-mindedness. All sorts of evil comes out of the debased mind. Haters of God. They are compelled. They are motivated by their hatred of God. As Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And they say it with motive because they hate him. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know God and they know the righteous judgment of God. And yet 
they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. A practice what? To the evil-mindedness, the sins that come out of the debased mind. They not only do the same, but approve, they applaud, they celebrate those who practice them. There are ramifications for rejecting the God of Genesis. There are ramifications for rejecting our Creator. We descend into the madness of sin. And nobody knows how far any individual or culture will descend. But you can only go so far until we rip ourselves individually or corporately apart. We self-destruct individually or corporately. When we, when we reject the God of creation and we descend into the madness of sin, the wage of sin is the result and self-destruction on an individual level or a mass level is the end thereof. Let us move to the best which I have saved for last. And behold the glory of Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the heavens and the earth, and all life in it. Consider Colossians 1 verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. He created it all. He sustains it all. He is over it all. He created all that is visible and invisible, material and immaterial. He is the creator of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Consider Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, to whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then Hebrews 1 verse 10, You, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens of the work of Your hands. So the Father declares the Son to be the one through whom He made the worlds, and the Son to be the one who is upholding all things by the word of His power. The Son is the omnipotent Creator, and the Son is the omnipotent Sustainer of His creation. And the Father speaks of the Son in verse 10. The Father says to the Son, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of Your hands. And then, of course, John 1 Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him nothing was made that was made. All things made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, distinct from the Father. The Word was God, one with the Father. And this Word made all things. Without Him nothing was made that was made. This is our Creator. How does the Lord Jesus know Genesis is true? Why does the Lord Jesus believe Genesis? Because He is the God of Genesis. It's about Him. It's about His deeds. It's a record of His glory and power and wisdom. Big Bang cosmology and Darwinian evolution are not the foundation of the Christian world view. Any attempt to make an amalgamation, to unite the Christian worldview and the worldview of Satan will ultimately fail. Are there believers, genuine believers, that have attempted such? Yes. But they've assaulted the foundation of God's Word. And over time, that assault bears rotten fruit. May God grant a revival of faith in the Word of God, a revival of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, then you believe in a literal Genesis. You cannot call Jesus your Lord and reject your Lord's view, your Lord's hermeneutic, your Lord's commentary on Genesis. 
It is the divine commentary. Jesus Christ provides the foundation of the Christian worldview, and he provides the singular, correct interpretation of Genesis. Consider Mark 13, 19, eschatologically speaking. Jesus tied his warning of the literal tribulation to the literal Genesis creation. Mark 13, 19. In those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Since the beginning of creation, which God created. The tribulation is tied to the beginning of creation. In Matthew 24, 37 to 39, we see again, eschatologically speaking, that the Lord Jesus ties the end times, the coming judgment, with a literal, historic, Noahic, worldwide flood judgment. A literal ark, a literal Noah, and a literal flood. Matthew 24, 37 to 39. But as the days of Noah were, so also were the coming of the Son of Man be. You want to make Genesis to be a book of fiction? then you make the coming of the Son of Man to be a fiction. Woe be unto you. But as the days of Noah were, so also would the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also would the coming of the Son of Man be. The Lord Jesus upholds a literal Noah, a literal worldwide flood until the flood came and took them all away. The Lord Jesus has delivered unto us the only proper view of Genesis, the only Christian view. In Luke 11, verse 50 to 51, it says that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. The Lord Jesus is giving a rebuke of the Pharisees' legalism built upon the literal Genesis account of Abel and Cain. Again, except to verse 51, from the blood of Abel, Abel, who was a prophet of Christ, who would come because Abel brought what? a blood sacrifice, and Cain was jealous, so Cain murdered Abel. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. A literal Adam and Eve were the father and mother of a literal Abel. The Lord Jesus upheld a literal Genesis. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 10 Marriage and divorce. Jesus built his doctrine of marriage and divorce on the foundation of a very literal Genesis. There is no Christian view of Genesis other than the view of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just, for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? Read what? Jesus? Genesis. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? That's in quotes. Look, look there in your Bible. That's in quotes. Made them male and female. That's a quote of what? Genesis 1.27. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer Two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. The Lord Jesus is literally quoting Genesis as a literal account. He quotes Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And he builds his doctrine of marriage upon that literal truth. Any other view of Genesis is a non-Christian view. Sadly, there are some Christians who hold a non-Christian view of Genesis. John chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, Jesus there ties his literal crucifixion to the literal Moses lifting up a serpent. And as Moses lifted up the serpent to the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, every Christian holds fast to John 3.16, right? What about John 3.14? A literal application of a literal Genesis. How about John 6, verses 32 through 40, where Jesus builds his bread of life, teaching on a literal Moses, authoring a literal Genesis in which literal manna is given by God from heaven. John 6, 32. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Consider Luke 17, 22-36, where we have a literal Genesis with a literal Noah, and ark, and global flood, and Lot, and the destruction of Sodom, and Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt. Oh yes, the Lord Jesus thoroughly upheld a literal Genesis. Luke 17, 22, Jesus said to the disciples that the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built And on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he was on the housetop and his goods were in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who was in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Oh yes, dear saints, the Lord Jesus upheld a literal Genesis. Consider Matthew 10, verse 14 and 15, where Jesus declares a literal Sodom and Gomorrah once again, saying, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Or Luke 24, 13, a post-resurrection conversations recorded with the Lord Jesus in which Jesus upholds the writings of Moses in their entirety as being the inspired, inerrant, preserved, authoritative word of God that the world must receive. Luke twenty-four, twenty-five. Then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, Jesus began at Moses. Jesus ministered the word of God beginning at Moses. And so should we as the literal, inspired, inerrant, preserved, and authoritative word of God. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Where would Jesus begin in Moses' writings to expound things concerning himself? Genesis 1, 1. That's where he would begin. Luke twenty four forty four. Then Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Lord Jesus upholding the inspiration and inerrancy of the the canon of law, the Pentateuch. Let us close again with this. John 5, 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the Lord Jesus Christ testimony. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ view. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ hermeneutic. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ commentary on the Lord Jesus Christ Creation of the heavens and the earth 
and all life in it. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. May our convictions be clear. May our convictions be strong. May we hold fast to the truth of your word and the true science that comports with it and reject all pseudoscience, Lord, as antichrist. Not unbiased, but antichrist, opposed to our Lord, our Savior, our God, our King, our Creator. May we, Father, minister this truth beginning in Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22 with faith, with hope, with joy, and with much love. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.